0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, Tuesday's edition. This is where we have uh, an open discussion on biblical questions from you in the audience. You know, I want to emphasize also that as we discuss your questions, we default to what the Bible has to say on the matter. So you'll hear us using the Bible uh, references and scriptures as we go through our discussion. What that means, by the way, is that sometimes we may not have a clear Bible answer because it might not be in the the, uh, Bible. If you're watching us today through BibleQuest.tv, that means you're using the Zoom app. Therefore, please text us your questions using the Q&A window that you'll find in the video screen, over the video screen. Uh, our panelists are Stephen from Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? Hey, Adrian. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, doing great. Thank you very much. Uh, also from Gettysburg is Scott. Hi, Scott. Hey, Drew,
1: how are you doing
0: this afternoon? Very good. Glad to see you here, too. And Jeff, broadcasting from Excellent PA. Hi, Jeff. Uh-oh. Oh, darn it, really. We don't <laughs> have the audio on uh-huh. There we are. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I thought I got everybody. Let me say it again. And Jeff from Excellent PA. Hi, Jeff. Hi.
1: Good afternoon. It's good to have a voice.
0: Yeah, it's good to have a voice. Uh, and just, Noah, our webcast engineer, will be handling you. Hello.
1: <laughs> that, that really Hi. wasn't Noah's fault, Um, but I'll explain later. Oh, oh
0: okay. Oh, right. okay. There you go. All right. So we're not going to throw Noah under the bus. He's our, our broadcast engineer, by the way. Hi, Noah. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm Drew, your host from Homesdale, Pennsylvania. Welcome,
2: everybody, to the if show today. If you're oh, tuning maybe. in through Facebook, um, yes. please feel free to leave your comments and questions in the comments below, and we'll try to get to those as soon as possible. I see Roland has already asked what we're going to be discussing, and we're about to get into our first question for today. Um,
0: oh, yeah. We yeah. have some very interesting questions today, two of them, and uh, maybe
2: Roland's is a different one, a third one? Oh, no. He just said I'd tune in to see what the what the topic is today. Okay. Cool. All right, so, so where are we going, Stephen? Our first question today comes from Irene, who asks, in John fourteen six, Jesus makes a clear statement about himself and the Father in regards to heaven, right? Uh, some Christians declare God's love and acceptance of all people in whatever way they live their lives and are comforted in this and the openness of heaven, quote-unquote, uh, to all uh, who simply believe in God. They recognize the amazing power and significance of the resurrection, but seems to miss the point of the reason why Jesus died and the consequences of not following in his way. What key scriptures expand on John three sixteen, the love of God, belief, and also emphasize the consequences of not following in his way? Thank you for your consideration of this. Thanks for your question, Irene. It's a really good and relevant question because there are, uh, a lot of religious groups that would uh, emphasize only parts of scripture and not other parts. And specifically your question about John three 16, um let's go to that verse. And I think probably the most helpful answer to this question is to just keep reading in yeah. John chapter three right. and to see what it says. Um, so, so let's read that together. This is John chapter three and verse 16. Um, let's read that together. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So that was John 3, verses 16 through 21. Now, what are y'all's thoughts on that, As particularly with regards to Irene's question?
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of times when people talk about simply believing, and uh, that's the way the question was worded, simply believing, I think in most people's minds means just believing. Um, and what we have here is not just believing in the sense that somebody says, well, yes, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. There are two categories of people in this passage. Uh, Jesus contrasts those who believe and those who don't believe saying that those who don't believe hate the light, their works are evil. And those who do believe are the ones who love the light and they come to the light, um, and so you You have an elaboration here that says there's more to it than just saying, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God.
0: Did you go down to the verse 21, uh, Jeff?
1: He that does the truth. No, I didn't. He that does the truth comes to the light. I think I said loves the light. He He comes to the light. That his works may be made manifest, that they have been wrought in God. So he has works wrought in God. Makes me think of Ephesians chapter two, where uh, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works.
0: Yeah, so that's that's why that's why I went down to twenty-one because that implies that the believing is more than just simply believing. There's something on the doing part of it.
1: Yeah, there's really there's really no room in John chapter three, uh, verses sixteen and following for somebody who believes in Jesus, but doesn't submit his will to Jesus. There's really no room in John three sixteen for somebody who believes in Jesus, but doesn't turn from his sins. Um, that's just not under consideration. There are two categories of people, those who believe, put their trust in the Lord, and those who don't. And putting your trust in the Lord means, yes, I will trust him to take away my sin and save me, but it also means I will trust him in that I will do what He says. Where He leads me, I will follow.
0: Before he, yeah. one of you guys get to the question, though, uh, to, I think someone's going to add something. Uh, I just want to uh, remind people in the audience, whether you're on Facebook or in the, the app, the Zoom app, if, if, as we're going through the discussions, if it, if it sparks another thought or question in your mind, please don't hesitate. Text in your question let us know what it is that you wanted to share or add to or ask Scott.
1: I was distracted with a sneeze and the mute button. So I missed it. Uh, But (laughs) have we read verse 36 yet in John three? No, 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 no. no. Let's take a look at verse 36. Notice the contrast here. Uh, He that believes on the son has eternal life, but he that obeys not the son shall not see life. Yeah. Here's the believers, and here's the people that obey not.
0: Let's get the Greek expert in here, because I'm saying in a particular translation, like the King James, the word obey is not there.
2: It says believe or believe not.
1: Yeah, some translations have believe or believe not, and while Jeff's getting ready to answer that, one of the reasons... Uh, I would suggest is because of the closeness of uh, the relation of like faith and faithfulness. Um, you, you go through Hebrews 11 and people of faith are faithful people. Uh, but as to the Greek, Jeff, go ahead. So just translating straight from the Greek, the one who believes unto the Son has life eternal and the one, and then here's the word it's apethon um, in the sun, the one who does not obey the sun. So, patho is a verb that has the idea of persuade, or obedience, or submit to. And the alpha at the front, apathon, makes it mean the opposite. So, disobey or or not be persuaded by. Um, the the verb patho is the verb that is used in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where we are to uh, obey those who have the rule over you, uh, and this is the opposite of it. So. Uh, what translation does not use obey there? What does the one
0: it I have here is the King James version. It has it uses believe and believe not in that same context. But what you're telling me is that it's two different Greek words.
1: Yeah, it is. It's two different Greek words. But that highlights a, a point here. When you think about obedience, when it's when it's this word patho, it has the idea of obedience due to persuasion. Um, but by the same token, when we talk about believing, we're talking about uh, obedience due to belief in or having our trust in somebody. Both of these words are, we might say they're pregnant words. They are full of meaning. Um, And so when people talk about a belief in a very simple way, when they say simply believe, they're missing the kind of faith that that the Bible is talking about, just as surely as if somebody talked about uh, patho, and they kind of left out the idea of obedience and said, well, I'm just persuaded, but I'm not going to do anything about it.
0: Okay. There's a comment that came in. Uh, Stephen, can you make sense of that comment? I'm sorry, I can't.
2: Emma uh, comments, if we don't trust him enough to believe he can give us fulfillment outside of our sin, and therefore enough to discard that lifestyle and change, then we don't really believe in him. We believe in a God we've made for ourselves. In other words, faith without works is dead. That is a good uh, that comment. That makes sense.
0: Now, now I'm getting what's, uh, that's fantastic. Good point. Would you yeah. say something, Scott? What,
1: if you stop and think about most people that want to obey God, if you say, why don't you want to obey him? At the bottom line, they think, I won't be happy if I obey God. How much trust is there? Uh, And how much selfishness is there? That's not real submission, and it's not very much faith either.
2: I think it's also notable that in John's gospel, he talks so much about belief and the importance of belief or trust in Jesus. And in chapter 12, I just think we have a really clear example of some people who on one level, believed, but were not willing to follow through with that belief. And that's clearly not the kind of belief that's saving in, in the book of John. In John chapter 12, uh, in verse 42 and 43, John 12, 42, and 43, he writes, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. And you think, great, they're, they're saved, right? But notice what it says. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Uh, and again, this is John writing. It's in the mm-hmm. same book, the same context, and he just makes it really clear that when John's talking about this saving faith or belief, it's not just a, a mental assent, like, yeah, I believe he's the son of God. It's a willingness to confess and actually trust Jesus, no matter what consequences may happen. If In this place in chapter 12, if they confessed Jesus, they were going to be thrown out of the synagogue, which had all sorts of social and maybe spiritual implications for at least the people looking on. Uh, but these people, I don't think we could say these people are saved. It says very clearly they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And
1: um, did you go on and read verse 44, Stephen? Uh, no, I did not. We go on to verse 44. Jesus cried and said, he that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. Um, it, these people are described as believing on him in a sense in verse 42, but they won't confess it. They love the glory that is of men, not the glory that is of God. So then Jesus says, he that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. If they were looking for the glory of God, then Jesus could describe them as believing in him and believing on the, in the one that sent him. So in a sense, they believed, but in that fuller sense, they did not believe. And that fuller sense is what we're talking about when John talks about that which saves or when Jesus talks about that which saves.
0: In all of this discussion, yeah. you know, in all of this discussion guys, so far I've not heard a word mentioned that usually comes out and brings out that John 16 verse. And because when I was struggling and trying to understand what it meant to believe and have faith in Christ, I was told that well, baptism's not necessary. You
1: Which is interesting because it, this I understand this John three sixteen statement to be part of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, and if you go back to the beginning of the discussion, he told Nicodemus that he must be born of water and spirit to see the kingdom of God.
0: Yep. Wow. You just made me realize something else, which it's related, but I hope I don't go too far off out of the question. If I do, pull me back, guys. But that discussion with Nicodemus about water and spirit, he's making a, this is what someone had just said to me just recently, that it's not talking about baptism.
1: Yeah, what is? I bet I know what they said it's talking about.
0: Well, okay, let me see if, if this is in other words, they're saying he's comparing a spiritual birth and a physical birth. Therefore, the water is the physical birth, not baptism. And the spiritual birth is being born of the spirit. Is that what you were thinking?
1: Yeah. The Like Scott said, the amniotic fluid. I really, I really bear with me here. I will. I will. <laughs> we can discuss that. But I really think the appropriate response... To that interpretation or that suggestion that that's what Jesus meant is,
0: <laughs> but but have, have, tell us what you really think. That's that, that's really what I think.
1: I was studying with a fellow one time, and he made. I think that was the argument he made, and I said, "Do you really believe that? that's what Jesus was talking about?" And he wouldn't answer, but he got mad that I asked him. <laughs> it, was, it was an argument. It wasn't what he was convinced. Of. We we really don't normally, apart from a theological debate about John three sixteen, most of us don't talk about being born of water. Yeah. Uh, it's not human experience to, to to talk about. Oh, you had a baby of water, uh, <laughs> even though even though we know that there's the breaking of the water and all of that kind of thing. You just that's not the way we think of it. But besides that, the context here is full of water, and the water of which the context is full is the water of baptism. <laughs> all the way back in John 1, and then here in John 3, you've got uh, Anon, uh, John the Baptist baptizing near Anon, Anon, in Aenon near to Salem because there was much water there, and then Jesus is baptizing and making disciples even more than John was. and And that's all in this context, John 1, uh, Jesus is himself baptized and John the Baptist is baptizing John two. You have the water turned to wine, which highlights the idea of the water purification. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that, you have this being born of water and the spirit. Somebody goes, well, that's amniotic fluid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, hey guys, did could I, could I just trigger Jeff?
1: <laughs> yes. You triggered Jeff comment. And then a question for you guys. Um, The uh, and of course, this goes back to the Reformation. Uh, In the Reformation, is they were throwing out a lot of the uh unnecessary things from Catholicism, some biblical things got tossed out too and misunderstood. But even I believe Calvin and Luther recognized John 3 5 was talking about baptism. Now, here's the question that phrase born again is not used very often in scripture. I don't mean it's not important; it is important, but we don't see it very often. So let's pay attention to each each time it's there. Now, there are two other places in Scripture that this is. That's the only time in the Gospels where Jesus mentions being born again. Um, but both Peter uh, specifically, and, and then James and Paul refer to the idea. And in uh, where in Paul do we read about the idea of water and rebirth? Titus three, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Titus three. And notice there in verse four, when the kindness of God, our savior and his love toward man appeared, not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Generation. What is regeneration? Rebirth. Yeah, rebirth, new life. You're 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 starting over. Life is new. Uh, that's not the amniotic sac breaking. Uh, Let me interject real quickly. The evangelicals have a real problem with that. They don't like the idea of baptismal regeneration because in right. their minds that means an automatic salvation just by the act of dipping, and they thus ignore what Jesus said: "Born of water and spirit." So it is a spiritual birth, yeah, and and that's consistent with Ties 3. All right, go ahead. And much of their objection comes from that they've seen that Paul especially has emphasized that we're not saved. Our, our atonement and redemption, our salvation does not come by works that we do ourselves. And then they look at baptism. Oh, you did that, so you don't have to do that. But then they turn around, they come up with something else you have to do. You have to raise your hand to say that you prayed a prayer or, or, or something else. So they say, yeah, you have to do something, but it can't be that. Just, <laughs> that, A, that's not what Paul's talking about, because right after saying it's not our good deeds that save us, we're saved by his mercy through the washing Regeneration. So Paul didn't consider that to be that we're saving ourselves by our works. Same thing in Galatians 3 where he's saying, no, you don't have to be circumcised. You know, look, as long as you've been baptized into Christ, Galatians three, you're already where you need to be. And finally, just the observation, baptism isn't even something you do. It's something you have done to you. It is a humbling act where you recognize that you have sinned, that we have sinned, and we're submitting ourselves, we're realizing that what we did needs to be put to death and buried. And we let someone else bury our in, in repentance, we put to death our old man, and then someone else buries us, and we're raised to walk in the newness of life, having been washed by the blood of Christ, which brings up another text. The phrase born again is not used in Romans six, but is the idea of an old life ending and a new life beginning in Romans six. Raised to newness of life. crucify the old man and be raised. And and at what point does this uh, change happen? He says at baptism, he says, we were buried therefore with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So we also might walk in newness of life. He says we're baptized into Christ's death in verse three, then walk in newness of life, being raised with him. So you picture somebody, uh, going down into the waters of baptism and coming up, just as Jesus went down into the tomb and then came up. Yep,
2: we've right got a couple right. of questions. Go ahead, Steve. Got a, we got a couple of comments that have come in. Um, Herman uh, uh, comments that the problem is not what Jesus taught, the problem is how some, quote, preachers interpret the term believe. Yes. And I think, as we've already noted, that's, that's uh, often the case. Uh, there's another uh, anonymous uh, attendee through the zoom app who has put forward a couple of scriptures uh, and they just put a question mark John 4:10 and 11 John 7:38 so we can go to those passages John 4 or verses 10 and 11 um, it says Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink then you would have asked him and would have given you living water Uh, The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Um, And then in John 7 and verse 38, uh, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Um, So you have the references. I guess their question is just to do with the living water here mentioned in John 4, 10 and 11 and John 7, 38. a comment on that?
1: I, th- I think, I'm not sure where the, the viewer is coming from here, but in those two passages, I could see somebody making one of two points. Either, number one, uh, water is a theme uh, in Scripture, and, and certainly here in John, that has spiritual significance. It's not amniotic fluid. On the other hand, I could also see somebody suggesting or trying to argue that, well, maybe the idea is that when Jesus said, born of water and spirit, um, he's equating water and spirit. And he's not talking about water literally at all, whether it be baptismal, whether it be the water of baptism, or whether it, whether it be uh, the, the amniotic fluid of, of childbirth, that he's just using water as a metaphor. Um, the fact is, if, if the thought is the, the, the latter point, I would say that what we see throughout Scripture, and certainly here in the immediate context in John, is water was not just a metaphor. It was literally being used. John, again, in John chapter 3, was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there. I don't think he was saying there was much spirit there or much metaphorical water there. Um, So in the context in John 3, born of water and the Spirit it looks clear that we're expected to understand that to be a reference to baptism. i make two points here. One Mark chapter one, verse four says that all they of Jerusalem and Judea were going out to be baptized of John. It was a big thing. This is what was happening. It was the happening thing. Uh, think about some event in society today where somebody would say, well, everybody was going. Um, well, that's the way baptism was at that moment. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. Uh, he has come to Jesus, and Jesus said, "Except one be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus didn't get what that meant. And he said, "What? Go back into my mother's womb and come out again?" And so now Jesus, in verse five of John three, is giving an explanation to Nicodemus that is going to make clear what that means. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he can uh, of water and Spirit he cannot enter. The Kingdom of God, what would Nicodemus have supposed well everybody he 's a ruler of the Jews, his people, his society the thing that 's happening is everybody 's going out to john and they 're getting dipped they 're getting buried in literal water uh, that 's what would have clicked with him.
0: Uh, I wanted to add something too Usually, back to the, to the concept here of works versus believing only where we started with this. Uh, those that say well you're not supposed to do any works you can't do any works well besides maybe taking that term out of context look what uh, jesus says in John 6 John 6 uh, verse 27 i will get ready by a minute to get there because this is talking about work and in John 6 uh, 27. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent. So, based on their concepts, they could act, we could actually say, Well, belief is a work. <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
1: one other thing I just want to mention real quickly. There have been some writings recently where some have gone back to the book of Ezekiel and and kind of the background for Jesus' comment there in John chapter 7. Uh, in John chapter 7, in verse 38, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, from within him shall flow rivers of living water. And um, there there is a picture in that scripture. Uh, that spiritual temple scene uh, in the latter chapters of Ezekiel uh, with water flowing. And, and so there, there are some who've written some articles recently trying to connect what Jesus says in John 3 with that idea. I'm, hey, I'm a big fan of the book of Ezekiel, and I really appreciate when somebody takes time and goes back to the book of Ezekiel and looks at the the theme of the spirit being poured out upon god's people in john chapter thirty six um, and the spirit as a part of the uh, restoration of the messianic kingdom uh in john chapter thirty six and john chapter thirty seven uh, uh, ezekiel
2: thirty six and
1: thirty seven yeah i'm saying john i'm sorry ezekiel chapter thirty six and ezekiel chapter thirty seven i th- i'm a big fan of of when of, of going back and seeing all of that as the background behind a lot of New Testament teaching. Um, I think it's, I think it's misguided then to come to John chapter three though and say, well, there can't be literal water in view here because water is this, is this metaphorical idea and it's associated with the pouring out of God's spirit in the old Testament. That's, that's realized in the new Testament church. I think that it's misguided to see all of that and then say, so there can be no literal water in John chapter three. John chapter three is in a context about baptism. Let's have just a comment or two here and then move on to the next question. Um, and, And to clarify the passage where when Jesus says of the spirit that from in him will flow rivers of living water, There's a metaphorical use of water, and that verse is not talking about baptism. It says in the next verse that um, he spoke this of the spirit. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you can take that use and go and throw away the other ones. Uh, When Philip preached the gospel, preached Jesus to the eunuch, the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, he's reading about someone who died and was punished someone innocent and he's uh, died and (laughs) suffers for other people's sins who is that and Philip began at that passage this is Acts chapter 8 preached to him Jesus what was Philip's response after hearing Jesus preached by Philip the evangelist what does hinder me he he said what does hinder me to have amniotic fluid poured on me (laughs) 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 he said here is water What's the hinder for me from being baptized? When Ananias uh, comes to Saul in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, three days after Paul has believed and repented and has been praying, and the Lord knows he's praying because in Acts 9, 11, he told Ananias, listen, he's praying. Ananias got there in Acts twenty-two sixteen. What did
2: uh, Ananias
1: tell Paul?
2: Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Call yeah. on his name.
1: Yeah. And in Acts, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter six, the passage we read before, put to death the old man, crucify him, bury that person, rise to walk in newness of life. He says that's baptism. We are baptizing into Christ, baptizing his death. Uh, if we have an agenda and we're trying to hold on to uh, an agenda that is not the teaching of scripture, And we've been swayed by denominational beliefs. We can try to find all sorts of ways to ignore the obvious. But if you look at the text, it's just clear.
2: Anything else on that question before we move to the next one? So our next question comes from Rita, who asks, and this was in response to a program we did a couple of weeks ago on baptism. Specifically, the original question was, does someone need to be rebaptized if they were baptized by a Baptist preacher? Uh, and some questions relating to that. But her question specifically is, were all those on the day of Pentecost ordained? I'm sure there were lots baptizing. So in that discussion, we were talking about the people doing the baptizing. There are 3,000 who were baptized in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so her question is, were all of those doing the baptizing ordained? I wish we had a chart that would help us see this. (laughs) I mentioned that I have a
1: chart. So we'll, we'll divide this into two sections. We'll talk about maybe who did the baptizing, and then we'll talk about this idea of ordained. I'm just going to start by touching on, uh, could 12 apostles have baptized 3,000 people in one day?
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. 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 It's been so long since I've shared a chart that I've forgotten how to... Oh, hey, I think I figured it out. Is that being shared? Can you see that? Yeah, there we yeah. go. Now you need to right. actually start the presentation. All right, there we go. All right, so this is this is from a book called William the Baptist. It's actually an old Presbyterian book where a Presbyterian is trying to convince a Baptist that uh, it's pouring, not immersive. But a couple of arguments in there. One is they said... You the apostles could not have baptized three thousand people in a day, just real quickly, and I don't assume it was just the apostles. <laughs> if it was, if they did 30 an hour. Now usually we don't baptize somebody in two minutes because we you know we're just baptizing one. But if you've got three thousand people lined up, you could talk about what needs to be said, you could baptize them and baptize them. So if you're doing thirty an hour 12 people could have baptized over three. You could have baptized 3,060 people in eight and a half hours. Now it so said there were 120 in the upper room. If half of them are helping with the baptism and they do one a minute, uh, one, an, can, hour? No, one no. 60
2: 60 people an hour, 60, 60
1: an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you got 60 people and they're all doing one person a minute, in one hour, you could have baptized 3,600. So it certainly could have been done. I suspect other people were doing the baptisms. Um, by the way, just another argument was there was no river in Jerusalem, so they couldn't have immersed them. And how would you respond to that, guys? Oh, there were lots of pools. Yeah. Pool of Siloam. There was the pool, of Siloam, there was the pool of Bethesda and, and other pools. So it doesn't say who did the baptizing, but we know from First Corinthians chapter one, in Acts sixteen, it said many Corinthians were baptized. Then in First Corinthians one, Paul said, "I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephans. So who do you suppose did the baptizing?
2: Others, other Christians. Yeah, other I would
1: expect Silas, Timothy, and maybe others. Uh, Ananias baptized Saul. Does it ever say anything about him being an apostle or an elder or an evangelist? Yeah, he's a disciple that's well-spoken. So uh, you guys go ahead from there. And if any comments on that, or if you want to turn to the question of ordained.
2: Yeah, I think that that is a helpful question because I think that's something we, as you talk to people at different times, uh, there's this, uh, I think a general understanding along, among a lot of people that, well, oh, you're a minister of the word. You must've been ordained, uh, into some religious body by some institution. Uh, and that's how you have the authority to be a preacher, kind of have a flock that you're guiding and, uh, and that you perform these religious rituals. Um, that's kind of a general understanding of a lot of people. And so just what we want to do is we want to get back to the Bible. And think about, well, what does the Bible say about being ordained? Or does it talk about that concept of somebody kind of having an official stamp put on them? Like, okay, now you are ordained and now you can do these special things.
1: And and to introduce that question, let me just ask, Drew, have you been ordained by someone?
2: No, I have not.
1: Jeff, have you ever been ordained? Well, it depends on what you mean by ordained. Yeah, yeah. Uh, has a human being ever uh, declared you ordained? Uh, actually, yes. I think the state of Ohio did it one time. Oh, <laughs> <No.
2: see? laughs> I have not been formally ordained. Okay, I was I was
1: ordained uh, on October the 2nd, 2017, <laughs> about three minutes before the webcast.
0: Wait a minute, uh, you mean today, October 3rd? I,
1: I, we drew you and I and Noah were talking. Our webcast engineer. I said, Noah, ordain me, and he said, You're ordained. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, so what does ordain mean? <laughs> that 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 can't count if ordained means. An authoritative religious person uh, goes through some kind of ritual and duly ordains and authorizes you to do something or another because he's had the same thing done to him because he had the same thing done to him. <laughs> Why can't no, what makes Noah any different than Pope or some Methodist guy or some Episcopalian bishop? There are a lot of things that make Noah different. Yeah, that's, <laughs> the thing is, I, I had so I had somebody say the words "you're ordained," uh, which means about the same as someone else. Yeah, that's right. Someone else say yeah. those words. Yeah, that's that's really right. And and the thing is, in Roman Catholicism, we were talking earlier today in Anglican Church in the Church of England, there is this concept of apostolic succession. There is this concept that the, uh, Jesus ordained the apostles and the apostles ordained the first bishops and then those bishops ordained others and then those bishops ordained others and that there's an unbroken succession from the first century to the present day. And so for an ordination to be valid in the minds of some, you have to be ordained by someone in such an unbroken succession. Which, before we get to the word, and and I want to ask you guys to go ahead and get to the word here in just a minute. But Before we get to the word and discuss some scriptures further on like that line, let's just notice this. There are a lot of similarities between the ideas of Roman Catholicism and rabbinical Phariseeism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very, very many historical similarities. And one of them is the reliance on an old historical chain. And you can see that in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is baptizing, and um, he says in verse 9, he warns them what not to say. He's preaching a baptism of repentance, and uh, he says, "You ought, when the Pharisees, this is verse 7, Matthew 3, 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Don't think to say within yourselves what. We have... Abraham, Abraham is our father. father. Yeah, going back their chain back to Abraham. And he says, you know what? God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this, this historical link saying, but historically, generations and centuries back, I have some tie to some person back there that's not where it's at. In John chapter six, Jesus said, yeah, you are the seed of Abraham biologically, but you're not spiritually. He said, if you had the faith of Abraham, you would believe. All right. Well, let's talk about this word ordained before we run out of time here. We've just got about five minutes left before we have to say goodbye. Well, we, we, we were talking earlier and before the live broadcast today, and we were just noticing a couple of passages where the King James uses the word ordained and Mark, chapter 3 verse 14 was one of them and this is in regard to the apostles uh scott i think you pulled this one up when we were talking earlier it says um he appointed 12 is what the american standard says but the king james says ordained and the word there is poieo which is the word that means make do practice and it's used many 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 times in the new testament i don't know somebody you some one of you guys may have a quick uh list of passages where that one's used i can pull up a quick list of such passages real quick yeah it's it's one of the more common verbs in the new testament It's Mm -hmm. for all all sorts of making all sorts things doing all sorts things in the septuagint the greek version of the old testament when noah built an ark he poyinged he, he he made the ark, poiete same word. If you make something or do something, that's poiete. So. When, when John the Baptist says, "Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance," in Matthew chapter three verse eight, it's make therefore fruit worthy of repentance. Produce go. fruit. That's the idea. So all right. So Jesus basically he made apostles. Exactly. You you we had another passage. I've forgotten what it was. Now was it? Uh, it was um, after Judas being replaced in Acts one. Yeah, but there was a John 15:16. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what pa- what passage was that? I can't remember what it was now. I just remember 15:16. I don't remember the context of what we're talking about. Anyway, yeah, I, I think it, it is said,
0: John 15:16. 15, 15, John 15:16 oh. and it says you have not this is the King James version you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Uh,
1: there we go. King James says ordained and the Greek word Jeff is titheme which means uh, "tithemi" is to put or place. But I didn't. I'm not. I'm looking at John fifteen sixteen, and uh, oh yeah, there it is. Okay, uh, so "tithemi" is to put or place anything. You can put or place anything. Um, and again, I don't know that we have time to come up with a list of passages where it's used. But it, it's...
0: are you guys saying that the, the, the issue is because of the translation in the King James version? Using a word ordained, that the organized church hung on, took on that word to keep it. The uh, King James
1: was done with the preference for ecclesiastical sounding words, which helped, the, you know, the church being able to keep power. I suppose the the point is, in the, in the New Testament, the New Testament writers were using common everyday words that didn't have to have some special meaning. They didn't have a lot of ecclesiastical baggage associated with them. Now, was it Jesus making apostles? Yeah, it was Jesus making apostles. That's what's special about it, not something extra special about the word. Romans 13.1, the King James uses ordained, talking about the powers that be are ordained of God. There, it's another word. It's tasso, and it's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 23, or Acts chapter 28, 23, when they had appointed a day, or you could say when they had arranged a day. Um, so, see, we've got three words here. One is to make uh, or or perform or do, and that gets translated ordained in the King James. You have the, the word titheme, which means put or place. Like, like when Jesus said a candle, you put it on a stand. Same word. Yeah. And then you have this uh, tasso, which has the idea of to arrange. Yep. Um, and, and so uh, we, as somebody said, have you been ordained? Well, in, in a sense, we, we've all been ordained. If somebody has asked you to preach at a certain place, you've been, in Please. a sense, ordained. It's been arranged, but that doesn't somehow bestow, uh, special privileges upon you to be one who baptizes people into the name of Jesus Christ, whereas somebody else doesn't have that. Stephen had a comment. Stephen? Stephen?
2: Yeah, I just think it's interesting. As we talk about this concept of being ordained, it's used in different ways in the New Testament. There's different words that are translated that way. But this concept of, like Jeff just mentioned, having specific people who have special privileges because someone stood over them and said, you are now ordained a minister of such and such a thing. We just don't see that concept in the New Testament. Um, The word ordained is used in various ways, but it's never used in that sense that most people today think of it religiously, as in, you need to go to this seminary and get ordained. We just don't see that concept in the New Testament. Um, And so if we don't see it in the New Testament, should we be making this big deal out of being ordained and and, oh you haven't been ordained you can't be a preacher no like we don't see that in the new testament
0: i like like, organized religion that has been organized over the centuries long after the apostles i like scott
1: go ahead I like Scott's allusion earlier to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where we see Paul's attitude toward who does the baptizing. He couldn't even remember whether he did the baptizing or not in some cases. He says, I only baptize so and so and so. So if there's any others, I'm not even sure. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a big deal who does the baptizing.
2: Well, we're pretty much out of time for this week. Uh, thanks, thank you to everybody who's tuned in today. Uh, Drew has just put up the screen. Uh, where we have our uh, contact information, our phone numbers and email addresses, where we're at. Um, if you have any more Bible questions, we would love to get in touch with you, whether you're watching uh, live today or whether you're watching the podcast recording later on. Um, my name is Stephen Rouse. I'm in Gettysburg, uh, 334-734-2135. Um, if you have further questions or would like to get in touch for more Bible study, Yeah, you'll
0: see each of our our contact information up there on the screen. So I will try to leave it up there for a few minutes before we totally close off. And if you don't want to call, you just want to send us a personal email. Uh, Send us an email there. If you have any more questions or things you'd like to discuss one-on-one, we're available. Also, go to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, and there'll be a form there if you want to ask particular questions. Some of our questions uh, from the viewers have been coming in through the form on that page. So we want to make it easy and accessible for us uh, to hear from you so that we can uh, entertain your questions and have further discussions.
1: Thank you for those of you that have tuned in and especially thank you for the ones that submitted questions and comments. We appreciate it.
2: Have a good week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.